Well, as David comes to read the scripture this morning, uh, the danger of these kinds of scriptures is they become so familiar that we forget the meaning. And so just want to remind us again to listen for the roles and the characters in this story. Luke chapter 2, verses, I'm trying to figure out where I am here. (laughs) 1 through 20. All right, I can handle that. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, I have to tell you that uh, first service, I gave them the opening test. I mean, school is back in session, right, Jason, and and you guys. And, And so I thought it's only appropriate to give the test. So, last week I talked about six words that begin with the letter P. What were they? Oh, Lou, (laughs) that was priceless. He just, this was the response. (laughs) It was perfect. Do you remember? Do you remember what they were? We were talking about the six P's of marketing, which we then talked about the uh, six P's of evangelism. And I'll, I'll be kinder to you. What was it? Prayer was not one of them. I'm sorry, Nancy, but please pray. But, but it was not one of them. What? Purpose was one of them. Product was one of them. Passion was not one of them. 
That was later. Passion and peace were later. Yes, Max. What price was one of? Good job, buddy. Um, perception. Oh, I gave you six. All right, I'm going to become Lou Green. I probably did. You're right. I I probably didn't. So here here we go. Here they are. I'll give you six this time. They are purpose, product, people, place, price, and perception. Now, Roger, immediately after worship, pulled me aside, cornered me, Roger Ingalls, and said, you missed the most important one. If we have all of those things, if we don't have promotion, then it's for naught. But I'll add Nancy's prayer and passion, which the outcome is designed to bring peace. So there you go. Not just six, but nine now. Do I need to repeat those so you can write them down? My mistake last week. Sorry about that. But what's so amazing to me as we look at all those things, if we don't understand some of those things, what is it that we're trying to deliver to the world? And uh, a month ago when I wrote this sermon and delivered it, it was, it was, I talked a lot about Christmas. I don't want to talk as much about Christmas this morning. But, but to lead us into this, we've got to remember that this is all about kind of what is our DNA? What is that which propels us into the future? What is it that propels us beyond our doors as Christian people? What is it that makes us Christian? And these, this story, the story that David just read, is primary. I'm just going to stop trying to use P words. But it's primary for, for what we're trying to do. It's about our DNA as people of Christ. It is about what is at the root. What is our heritage? What is it that defines us? And it's amazing, as I said before, you know, there is this huge movement across particularly the United States, but it's not only here, of people trying to figure out their DNA and their heritage. And and I have a friend who runs this company who who does the testing, and they send out, you, you can get online, and they're connected to Ancestry.com, and you can get online, and you can order the kit. My biggest fear about the kit was I would have to prick my finger to give them blood. You know what you have to do? Not that. You just spit. Something that many of us do very naturally. Well, I hope not, but I'm looking at Gretchen right now going, yeah, we just spit. You spit on the wand, you encase it in the thing, you send it in, and you get this report back that not only gives you your, your kind of your DNA, but, but every country represented in there, where your history is. And, and why is that so important to us? Well, we want to know where our roots are. We want to know what grounds us. But even beyond that, I, and I've, I've shared this before as well, that one of the things that as we did some of this research around what places children and youth at risk, one of the things that was emerging in that time, particularly in the 80s, was, was genetic predispositions. That now there are genetic predispositions, things in us that not only says that we're prone to addiction, I can, I can now blame my dad for my personality. I'm so excited. 
but not just that. But it does give us some personality markers and some other kinds of markers about how we think and even our level of being able to grasp information, intelligence. Those things can be identified by some of these DNA markers. It's phenomenal where we are. But it's all too easy for us as Christians to not go back and study those things that are at the root of who, not only who we are, but who we are intended to be. And there is no story more appropriate for us to study, I don't think, than the one that David read, particularly when you add the Matthew birth narrative to it. And it's the combination that helps us understand much, much more readily, not only where we come from and who we are, but who is to be welcome here and what are the actions as Christians that we are to take. So I want to unwrap this one more time for us and help us move beyond the pageantry of Christmas. Because it's so easy, even in singing, O come all ye faithful, until you look at those words, to just be caught up in Christmas trees and gift giving and the silent night kind of elements of candles and carols. When in fact, that is not at all what these stories are intended to be. We begin with Mary. No doubt Mary was somewhere around 13 or 14 years old because that is when young girls were to be married. And suddenly Mary becomes pregnant. But what we have here is a youth already represented in this story, a young person represented in this story who was so attuned to God's desire that she was able to hear and receive this gift, if you will. But according to law, that child that she is to bear is illegitimate. I'm sorry, but you can't get beyond that. The child that she is to bear is illegitimate. And why? Because she's already betrothed to an older gentleman who probably worked out the financial deal to bring her into his family, Joseph. And Joseph hears of her pregnancy and knows that as an elder in that community of Nazareth, that he is required by law to take that young woman, drag her to the outskirts of the town, outside of the gates, or whatever is the boundary of that town, lest her blood be spilled on the sacred ground of that community, and have the elders of the community stone her to death. Ah. But what does this older gentleman do? First, he says, I don't want that to happen to you. And so he seeks to protect her and says, I will divorce you quietly because a divorce is required. I will divorce you quietly. And this goes back to some of our eras where if a young girl becomes pregnant out of wedlock, we send them away for them to have that child somewhere else so that they don't have to deal with the shame of having a child, and not be married. Things have shifted dramatically in this time. But instead of sending her away, older, elderly, potential Joseph also has a vision and dreams a dream. 
And in that dream is an angel, messenger of God, says to him, no, you need to go marry this young girl because the child she is carrying is holy. And look at what we have just already in this story. We have a young girl, a youth. We have an older adult, Joseph, and we have a baby who should never have been born. Illegitimate, according to the law. Three generations, completely separate, and yet now together. Oh, but it gets so much more complex than that. Because then the emperor of Rome, so now Rome becomes involved, comes and says, I want to know how many subjects that I have, and so I'm sending you out to your birthplace, your ancestral location. And because this family is a family of David, they have to go to this place. When you think of a little town of Bethlehem, friends, I got to tell you, it is not, was not some beautiful, pristine, wonderful place. It was a hole in the desert filled with dust, way too much wind, and there was nothing, nothing there. And now what we have are thousands of people, anyone whose ancestry goes back there, having to come to this place where there is not enough room for a hundred people, let alone a thousand or more. And then we have this journey. Holy Moses, I can't even imagine. 137 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, down the steepest of inclines, back up the steepest of inclines, all on a donkey whose back looks like this and nine months pregnant. Arduous doesn't even begin to describe this journey. But the trust that these two have in the God who is in control of all of this is so overwhelming that they take it on. And they make the trip. And they come to this town and there is no room. And someone takes pity on them and allows them to go. And again, my heavens, this is not some clean, pristine, hospital-like stable. The cattle were probably not mooing and the sheep were not wooing. And the, I mean, think about, think about a, a stable that is not clean. Think about the aromas in that place of manure. And sometimes even more so is the overwhelming smell of urine from animals. But this is where they go. And you can see Joseph trying to clean it up enough that he can place his child and his spouse into something that is cleaner. She gives birth to this child in the humblest of means, and they have nowhere to put this baby but in a cattle trough. I just want you to think cattle saliva. This is the story, friends. And, and I know I, I, I don't like you know, taking Christmas and doing this to it. But this is the reality of this story. And there are reasons why this story is written this way. But it's not even done yet. So we have Rome. We have youth. We have older adult. We have baby. We have Bethlehem, hole in the wall. We have God sending messengers to these two to assure them. And then the, the most bizarre piece of this whole story absolutely most bizarre piece is who that initial message of this birth goes to. 
And who was it? You just sang about them. Last verse in O Come All Ye Faithful is about shepherds. They weren't what we think. They were the most hated population there. They were filthy. They were vulgar. They, they were so many things. They didn't own their flocks. They took care of their flocks. And more often than not, they stole some of the sheep. No one liked the shepherds. No one trusted them. And yet, in this story, it's the shepherds who get this message from God's angelic choir. So now we have heaven and earth, and not just earth, but the, the most dirty and separated population on earth. At least that part, the, section, the, the, the shepherds. The shepherds hear it. They're sore afraid. They go and worship the child. They also leave their flocks behind and, and they go and their lives are changed by this baby. Because what do they do? They go being afraid and they come back in wonderment. Something happened in their souls because of this child. But we're still not done. So now you have the poorest of the poor into this equation. And now we get the richest of the rich. And they weren't even Jewish. They come from far countries astrologers following this, this star, this astrological sign, and had felt this prophetic word that somehow something was going to happen that would change the world, and they left everything behind to come. They meet with a political king of that region who is evil by nature, but yet he was the chosen one of God. Not these three or four or five or how many there were. And they then come, and not only do they come and bow down to this child, but give gifts to this child. So now we have the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. We have youth and, adu and adults and older adults. We have evil. We have good. We have gifts. We have angels. And what is the purpose of these stories? If it isn't to define what it is that we are to be as Christians... And look at what this does. Because out of this story comes the whole mission and vision and action of Jesus. To go to the poor. To go to the disenfranchised, but not stop there, but to also go to the rich. And begin to talk about this new kingdom of God that is not to just include one set of chosen, but to move out in concentric circles to include even the lowest of the low. That's our DNA. And if we aren't doing that, then we are not doing the actions of Christ. Period. I will tell you that last Monday night at the core leadership team, we had a long discussion about Sophia Way a homeless shelter for women. And I will tell you that Sophia Way is one of those places where these women, because there's no room in the inn, in the shelter that is now in Bellevue, have to get moved from place to place to place in order to find peace, comfort, and safety. We've been approached as a church to provide for three months 
a place for the women of Sophia Way to come so that they can be fed, even though we don't have to feed them. A place where they can be comfortable, although we don't have to provide that. A place where they can find safety, and yet really not up to us. Or is it? And these are women that many of us don't see. This is the invisible population that is surrounding us right now. It was a long discussion at Core Leadership, and all kinds of challenges were raised around this. But when it came time to vote of whether or not we should support this, it was unanimous consensus that we should. From January, I'm from October, no, from January to March, that they would be here seven nights a week for three months. Tomorrow night at Common Table, our gathering of the church, it is the intention of the core leaders to listen to the rest of the congregation, to hear what concerns you may have, or to challenge us to also become involved. We can't do this without those who can be here to unlock at night and to lock up in the morning. But we also, I want to hear the concerns that you may have about this. This leadership group seeks to be transparent in all things, and this is one of them. And so I want to invite you tomorrow night to come and not to just, you know, sugarcoat this. But if you have concerns about this, that's what makes us the body of Christ. But here's the deal. When we do that, my hope is we don't have to wear one of these with each other. That we can communicate with love and grace even though we may disagree. That's what we do with each other. That's, if anything sets us apart as a Christian community, that's it. But I will tell you, as I go back and read this story and look again at the details of it, what I see is this is part of what we do. This is part of what we do. As Christian community growing. The other three words from last Sunday. But I'm asking you to pray about it between now and tomorrow night. And I'm asking you to come and either voice wherever you stand in support of or opposed to this step. They need an answer. And then the leadership group will come together again and the decision will be made. Silent night, holy night. O come, all ye faithful. It came upon a midnight clear a child born in the humblest of means, surrounded and protected by God. And one other note, friends, without exception, if you look at these stories again, every single character in these stories took action centered on this child. Every single one. What does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? Amen.